A new episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast today with Philip Loma, CEO of Metro Markets. Hello, Philip. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Right. Um, we usually start the podcast always the same way in the sense that we give uh, the guests basically the opportunity to kind of tell who he, she basically is, where they come from, um, to kind of give the listener um, an understanding of who the person really is, what has shaped them, and um, yeah. So uh, my first question actually for today is, so who's Philip and how did you basically end up where you are today? I'm Philip, I'm 38 years old, live in this little, um, with my girlfriend and a little son. I would say Metro Group shaped my career. I have been with Metro Group uh, for 19 years now. Uh, so I started with 19 in the company worked there as a student, uh, studied um, in parallel economics. So my background is economics. Um, but after a bachelor degree, I changed from store operations to IT. I spent then six, seven years in the IT uh, part of Metro Group. Mainly I was working there on innovation, new technology. So I worked a lot on RFID. Uh, which basically at that time the vision was it would be the next generation of barcode technology and uh, after that I changed to again to operations uh, worked then in the real business responsible for digital marketing and CRM which means in case of real payback program I spent then there four years mainly around digitizing the payback program and all loyalty and CRM activities including building the necessary infrastructure for that. 2014, I took on top of these responsibilities, the e-commerce activities in Real, which were relatively small at that time. Uh, but then we scaled them. Um, and, and today, I think the company is doing really good. So they will be around a billion uh, Euro GMV this year, uh, from 20 million 2014. Uh, but I left Real Digital around two years ago and started a new kind of corporate venture called Metro Markets, um, which is responsible for building the e-commerce and marketplace infrastructure for Metro Group in the European markets. Uh, our idea is that uh, all hotels, restaurants, catering companies can basically do their procurement via our platform in the future where we consolidate not only our products but also make it open for third-party sellers uh, to use the reach and the functionalities we will offer over time. I think my one other thing to add here is that my personal passion is uh, how we can use technology to basically combine new technologies with existing assets from traditional businesses and yeah. then create new business models. Uh, so that is uh, what I love to do. And I think what I did the last seven, eight years yeah. uh, in different areas. Yeah. Uh, well, perfect. Um, you know, and, and, and actually um, in regards to how we're going to structure basically our conversation today is as we do not have too much time, uh, we're not really going to focus on the past. We're more or less going to focus on the, the present. And uh, as you just said it, I think it's very, very interesting. 
um, you know, the things that you're doing because that's exactly what you do, right? You, you take new technologies, you take new opportunities in regards to, okay, you know, platform capabilities, um, technology, and you combine that with the, you know, traditional, let's say old fashioned business basically. And maybe just like for mentioning it quickly, I mean, the uh, Metro is, is a quite a big, uh, big uh, company. I mean, 27 billion in revenue. Um, and uh, more or less in a traditional sense of B2B, um, B2B place. Uh, and uh, you just mentioned it, um, kind of your vision. And my first question more or less is, where did the idea or how did this whole thing, well, it's n n not really, let's say, I would assume a radical, innovative idea more or less okay an observation of what is happening how the world is changing and let's say more or less committing to okay we got to do something as well how did this whole started yes i think um then i need to go at least a little bit back from presence uh so two to three years as i said in my role as ceo of real digital uh, uh, we started to become really successful so was building a marketplace and um, then we became visible in the group and this was basically the kickoff for a lot of discussions we personally I had with the group CEO um, to discuss what is necessary to build the kind of digital uh, uh, company in a corporate environment uh, how do you need to set it up what structures you need how the organization must look like how you build bridges to the traditional business but where you also need to be separated to ensure you can acquire the talent and you can establish the processes you need to run a marketplace which is completely different than uh, running a procurement organization for example or buying organization in traditional retail wholesale company so basically it's i would say it goes back to a lot of discussions i personally had with our ceo olaf koch uh, and this was the foundation of what we do today. Right. Um, you just mentioned it, and I think that is a really important uh, aspect to, uh, let's say, to dive deeper a little bit, is exactly this. How do you establish a new venture or basically when you want, once you come out of a corporate, how do you establish that basically hand-in-hand when basically the sponsor or you know the the the, the venture capital sort to say the the financing is coming let's say from a you know from a um uh, an organization from one single organization and um uh, there is uh, you know the funny thing is i had a conversation just like a couple of weeks ago with a, a person that has been in the, um, let's say venture capital scene for the past 20 years uh, with a focus let's say on corporate venturing and i argued yeah there is not really you know there's not really that many good examples. And then, you know, he mentioned like, uh, you know, two or three, and those are like, you know, from really, like really big organizations. But I think what was your learning so far? And let's say, what are the major aspects that let's say you, that one needs to keep in mind? Because especially the fact, um, having the bridges between, let's say, you know, the new baby, and, and, and to the, let's say, you know, all the opportunities and all the assets within, let's say, the mother organization, how do you do that, basically? Yeah. I think there are several aspects. Perhaps the most important one is the top really needs to have the buy-in, really must push it, really uh, want, must want this, this change to happen. That's perhaps the foundation of everything. The second topic is, 
I think when you start to build this digital business in a corporate way, a lot of people say it's like a startup, but from my perspective, it's not like a startup because you uh, have these nice thing like a cash pool, which <laughs> you don't have as a startup, yeah? <laughs> which is a huge advantage on the one hand, uh, but it also brings a lot of duties. So what we then try to do is we try to build a real digital team, bringing a lot of external capabilities in the team, people who work in startup, or let's call them grown-ups, um, which bring digital entrepreneurship to the company. And in parallel, we try to bring a couple of people from the existing organization in our team who are also, I would say, or who also bring an entrepreneurial approach with, uh, with to the table but they also have a good reputation in the group they can build bridges they understand how the group is working and uh, in parallel they are curious enough to learn yeah and i think that is core on top of that i think it's super important that you really build an end-to-end -end organization so if you just say okay we built the tech separate and the marketing but the commercial sits in the corporate and the lead, all the, let's call them admin functions. For me, it's much more than admin, but talking about HR, talking about um, legal finance uh, responsibilities, we also built them up here from scratch. And I think that's also vital. A lot of people underestimate these activities because if you have a lawyer who's sitting in the same office as a developer, he can really understand what are the problems, what are the challenges, how the competition is solving that, and starts to get creative, how to uh, tackle certain problems. That's completely different approach uh, in comparison to you have a lawyer shared in the uh, a corporate office uh, who's normally working on other things in a corporate environment. So I think that's also important. These, uh, so call them purporting functions, um, they, I think, are key to make it a success or to make it a fail if you don't have them in your team and uh, if they don't work in the same culture you create in the digital environment. Right. Um, I, I assume that, let's say, you have looked also at other companies or, let's say, how other big corporates have tried or, let's say, at, at their venture uh, journey so far, maybe in the past or also in the present. You know, one of the examples that I talked with, um, with, the, with the guy that I previously just mentioned is uh, we talked about Walmart and uh, let's say their successful story in regards to that. And I think it relates, it is uh, very closely related to, you know, Metro in a sense, because it's also in commerce. So um, what, are, what are, let's say, you know, uh, companies or corporates that, that you guys looked at as well or that you, you personally maybe, you know, um, have looked at their story, at their journey in, in, in let's say, venture development? Yeah. I would say personally, I observe most what Otto Group is doing yeah. in Germany uh, because they approach this transformation uh, in different ways. Uh, I mean, they transformed the core, the heart of the organization from a catalog to pure online business. Yeah. In parallel, they establish a lot of supporting functions which also act as business units. Plus they created completely new businesses um, internally, but also they uh, created several real funds or support uh, famous funds or found venture capital funds which are successful 
now in the market. So I think that's quite an interesting approach because they tackle this transformation activity from different angles, transform, uh, do the transformation in the core, but also look at uh, completely new opportunities with completely new businesses inside. And a third pillar, at least this is how I observe it from the outside, is just giving venture capital funds yeah. who have all the experience, who have the access to the uh, founders, have the right networks, support them with uh, the relevant funds, and then try to bring all the learnings, uh, bring all the learnings back in uh, from these activities. Yeah, yeah. I think Otto, uh, the Otto Group is a, is a very, very good example uh, in Germany. Um, and, uh, you know, actually this one part that, that you just mentioned in terms of what role is venture capital playing in that sense? Because, I mean, for example, for you guys, the, uh, let's say, the sole fi financing comes from, uh, from, let's say, Metro itself, right, from the, from the mother company. Um, I think, wh what do you think is the downside to that? I mean, um, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes you speak about, okay, you have, the, you, you have the finances or the fund of a corporate, but, and then, let's say, the speed of a startup, right? But let's say, what, is, you know, what are some of the, you know, maybe downsides or, let's say, co compared to if you see yourself as a startup, let's say as a corporate startup, right? Um, compared to, let's say, for example, more, let's say, in a traditional sense, venture capital-backed, uh, let's say, yeah. startup. Yeah, I mean, we, I would say, we have more a strategic, 100% strategic investor who has its core interest. Um, yeah. And that's perhaps something different then uh, starting as a small startup where you have a great idea and you work together with a couple of friends or colleagues, make a proof of concept and then go through different uh, financing rounds, uh, improve the MVP, etc., and come to a product which is loved by customers and then look, work on market fitting, scaling, etc. I think that's a little bit different because we have a strategic investor with strategic interest uh, in a special market. And um, I think that's a core difference. I mean, it's when you are a startup, it's also always a question, do you look for uh, venture capital money or do you look for a strategic investor? Yeah. And normally I think startups are interested in uh, venture capital because then they don't have conflicts with strategic interests from investors, mm -hmm. yeah, which yeah. is, um, or could be a conflict by nature. Yeah? Uh, when you put it from that angle, on the other side, for sure, it also has advantages. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you ask me from that side, I would respond like that. Right. Um, let's maybe talk about the reason why there is not that many positive examples in corporate venture capital. Why do we not see too many, let's say, successful stories of companies, um, you know, building, uh, building out, let's say, or uh, their own ventures, you know, from, because if you think about it, the idea and what you just mentioned, you know, strategic investor, you know, I mean, it is, it is a strategic decision from, let's say, the corporate, right, to say, okay, we need to build something up from scratch, right, that is, we invest in our future. And the funny thing is, if you look at the history, it's really interesting because it's not really something new, right? So people really think that corporate venturing or corporate venture capital has been something that is, you know, just now in the, let's say, last decade in regards to this whole digital 
you know, uh, transformation hype and journey and whatever it is, right? Uh, that is, has emerged, but it's not, right? It has been, it has been there for already, let's say, a decade. It has been there in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. And um, so my next question ultimately is, what do you think is, is, is the problem that there's not that many positive examples, right? Of, of, let's say, corporates that if you would assume there is really, a, let's say, buy-in, a strategic buy-in also from, let's say, the C-level, as you said, which is the key requirement, right? Why is it that, you know, that we don't see that many positive examples? Yeah. That's a question I ask myself very often. <laughs> and uh, I can try to give you my thoughts on that. I don't know if that is the perfect answer. Uh, always curious to learn about this topic. So from my perspective, there are several reasons. First of all, the existing C-level in a company normally made its career in the heritage business. So right. that is what they understand, that is what is in their DNA, and that is where they are really, really good, where they were the best. Right. So that is basically their home turf. Now it requires a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of openness for change if you leave this home turf and go into topics which perhaps you don't understand and where you don't feel so comfortable. That's one of the observations. The second one is um, basically it's a question of allocation of money because when you allocate money to new topics this money is not available to um, invest in the heritage business, in the existing right. business. And normally there is a, a that's never the case that there's enough uh, cash available to serve everything. So it's a question of prioritization. Yeah. If you then, as a, a new business, um, want or, or apply for basically these kind of funds, you always find fight basically with a larger part of the organization, also fighting for funds, but this is just the larger part of the organization and more people. Uh, who especially make decisions in the senior management came from this heritage business. So that's, I would say, one reason. The second thing is a lot of this is an emotional and empathy issue. It's not an intellectual problem because uh, for sure these are all top executives. They have the best education you can imagine. So it's definitely not an intellectual problem. It's more a problem of uh, how do you bring the organization together? How do you ensure that you don't leave anyone behind? Uh, and how to make this explanation? And I think that tough, and especially when you try new things, you need to accept that you will have failures. Yeah. And um, I think managing failures in such an environment is then another challenge because uh, Having in mind what I just said about uh, fights around allocating funds, etc., if you and and the distribution of power in such an organization, if you then as a new venture fail in first instance, I mean then as a startup or a grown-up, you would say, okay, that's a great learning. I knew now what I need to do, but in a in a traditional organization, you are already much more under pressure because you have to manage all the stakeholders um, who look basically for the same funds uh, as you. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, therefore I think, um, you know, 
it is really, you know, uh, it is not only, I believe that it's not only the C, you know, let's say the CEO that should be, let's say, behind it, you know, and should be the main sponsor. I think, you know, the necessity for, you know, the entire C level and also, let's say, below that in regards to the management below the C level, right? I, either that be vice president or whatever that is, right? Need to have the understanding and the mindset that, you know, something like that is super super important for the future of the company in a strategic sense right and then you know this failing aspect or let's say you know that things can go wrong and that, let's say that you know yes we might lose money that is also something that is cultural right and obviously it's contradicting to let's say you know what you know uh, 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 let's say a stable traditional corporate is about right it's about stability and it's about let's say you know gradual things and, and, and linear, let's say, growth, but not really radical things, right? And not, let's say, you know, either huge ups, but it's also, it might also be huge downs, right? So um, that, that is a really uh, interesting uh, topic. So yeah, um, another point that here to add, and I think that if you look on the KPIs, how you manage, uh, how you define success in traditional business, you talk about EBIT, EBITDA, perhaps you talk about free cash flow. Yeah. Um, but in the, if you build a new business, you talk about enterprise value. Yeah. That yeah. you have a negative habit, you can perhaps even have a free cash flow because you grow so far. Yeah. But you have a negative habit, but you generate, if you try to achieve a uh, separate valuation, you uh, achieve a great enterprise value. Right. But that is nothing a traditional manager put an eye on so much yeah? they just say do you make abit what is your abit contribution and if you build a new digital business model you will not have a positive abit contribution at least in 99 percent of the cases uh, but if you're good you have perhaps free cash flow over time or and normally you should be able to create a huge impact on valuation yeah 100 percent you know and then the other part is i think that we that we did not really mention here is also you know the the part of okay having a publicly traded company right where let's say there's also shareholder uh, interest right where it's about um let's say calculated returns you know and and um the comparison with that to having a you know a family-owned business right i always think it's it's so funny like you know if you have a, a family-owned business or let's say where you have a majority shareholder right the you know the this whole thing of okay you know shareholder you know the problem of let's say having shareholders aligned and let's say you know having them convinced yo we have to do this right we need to we need to we need to spend money on this this is a strategic goal this is what we need to do you know you don't have that on family when once you have let's say a, a, a huge family business for example right or one majority shareholder but the, the funny thing is there it's different right obviously there you will have less money available to work with right because you know there's a fixed sum right um, and uh, in most cases, you know, also, um, uh, let's say, not really seeing too many, let's say, good observations there, especially because, let's say, in Germany, we do have a lot of big family-owned businesses. But, um, you know, let's, let's see what the future will hold. Um, maybe kind of, um, yeah, as the next question, uh, let's talk a little bit more about metro markets in general. Um, you, you mentioned already, let's say kind of your, um, yeah, overall vision in regards to your customers, maybe guide us through a little bit of the, let's say overall setup of metro markets. 
how did I compare metro markets to, you know, one of the, let, uh, let's say, traditional metro, metro stores? And if, if people don't, if people are listening right now and do not know what a traditional metro store is, just imagine this, it's a really huge building. You go inside and you can get like whatever you want in huge bulk. So <laughs> basically, what is the, how is the comparison? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's super important to understand that the purpose is the same. So basically, our purpose is we want to serve independent entrepreneurs in the horeca sector. So these people who made their dream become true, found their own business and uh, serve basically us uh, in their restaurant, in their bars, in their bistros and make our days uh, more joyful. So I think that's super important. That's also super important to manage transformation to make that clear that the purpose of our business is the same. The question is, how do we fulfill that purpose? And I think then you see the difference. In our case, we say we want to build a platform where the customers find basically the hugest assortment, the widest, the deepest assortment of equipment they need to run their business. When you come to a store, I mean, you're just limited by space. And then uh, the space means you can only show a certain number of products there. Yeah. Um, and if you look into financial KPIs, it will be very clear why you can only show a couple of products because, I mean, keeping decentral stock is super expensive. So what we try to do is basically we try to consolidate on the platform all available products um, that in the end the restaurateurs can come to the platform and find basically whatever they need. And this is then not only the mainstream, the standard pizza teller or pizza plate, but it's, uh, uh, you really find the specialties on the platform and you can buy them in bulk. And uh, over time we will offer more and more services around that, uh, uh, around payment invoicing to make the life of the uh, restaurateur easier because in the end it's around convenience. We all know it from our private or personal consumption why do we do e-commerce because it's more convenient we can do it from everywhere it's super fast we have a great transparency about um, choice and price and i think that's even more important for uh, business customers because for them there's no pleasure at all in shopping it's their business it's their time and the time they spend for this they cannot use to serve their customers so we want to make that easy and as efficient uh, as possible yeah um I assume, let's say, if you have a huge product, uh, let's say pallet, right? And I mean, we're talking about, let's say, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of um, uh, EAN numbers, you know, or let's say, you know, individual, really, let's say, individual yeah. products in a sense, you know. Um, how, how do you, let's say, you know, how do you establish or create a customer customer journey basically on a platform like that because i assume let's say let's let's look at from a perspective of a restaurant for example right i mean you know i can only you know i can only imagine that if i am going on a platform like that i know what i want right i know exactly what it is that i need to let's say you know get for my you know operations or whatever that i'm doing right how how is it that, for example, how can you create, you know, or how do you build customer, a customer journey and, you know, in a B2B, let's say, place like that, that you can also, let's say, you know, enable discovery or product discovery, right? Because let's say, 
you know, if, if uh, you know, this, this goes back to, let's say, traditional recommender systems or whatever, right? How, how do you, let's say, you know, how do you build up uh, features like that? Or is that like, you know, how is that compared to my regular B2C, let's say, you know, uh, platform? Yeah, I mean, in the end, we say relationships are at the heart of our business. Because okay. we don't have millions of customers in Germany. In the end, there is um, 200, 250,000 Horeca customers in Germany and a couple of million in Europe. Um, so first of all, we have to reach this audience. And when we then communicate with that audience, I mean, relevant communication is absolutely vital. So from my perspective, Technology-wise, there's perhaps not a lot of uh, um, difference mm -hmm. in comparison to B2C, but the importance of having the right uh, opportunities to discover products, to recommend products, is absolutely vital. I mean, there are a couple of specialties, for example, assume, uh, but let's say just come from the products, assume you buy porcelain, then you must have it a super easy experience how to put a complete series of porcelain in your basket that's not so fancy you just need to do it you need to build have good product data and on top of that you can build easily uh, this experience and we are still not there because we're just at the beginning to do things then when i think there are huge opportunities to make reordering easy so there are categories which sound a little bit unsexy like uh, cleaning disposable but they are uh, very relevant categories for our customers and uh, from a commercial perspective very interesting because you have a reoccurring demand of these uh, products yeah. and um, therefore i think we could put a lot of intelligence in the future how we can make this uh, journey for reoccurring orders as smooth as possible mm -hmm. uh, and then step by step add recommendation and add-ons to extend basically our share of wallet or to serve the customer better and uh, provide him with what he needs right um taking into consideration the time i have two topics that i still want to let's say get across with you one is starting with let's say a word that you just mentioned with uh, which is intelligence you know, in a sense of, um, or let's say in the context of having a marketplace, right? Uh, what you deal with, or let's say what uh, the, the, the ground asset or the basic asset for that is, is obviously information, AKA data. How much, let's say, how much effort or how much competence do you guys build in, let's say, you know, um, really, uh, and I don't want to call it artificial intelligence. I want to talk, I want to call it, let's say, you know, identify and the identification of patterns right and then patterns and your information and data that you have or maybe let's say using you know machine learning to build let's say you know um, specific data products you know within your platform like maybe guide me through um, you know what is happening there and how much effort you have on spend spend on this yes i think that's a very good topic because we spend a lot of time at the moment talking exactly about this topic mm. What having in mind that we just built an MVP uh, and I like with this MVP for 10, 11 months now, we, the, our major focus in the last 10 months was to basically consolidate all customer data, but not only customer data, basically all data in a data warehouse 
that yeah. we make all this data available. And now we enter exactly what you described. I would call it the second phase. Now, as we have the data available, uh, more or less all data, still we found out that here and there some, some data points are missing. We start with a second phase to see, uh, do, we under, do we recognize certain patterns? Right. And uh, then we have now teams working on to see, okay, how does it work? Where do we identify patterns? And then basically use that input for specific product development because yeah. in the end, uh, we will end up in building on based on this data. I'm pretty sure we will have a product where we see specific functionality, specific features for certain journeys, for certain behavioral aspects. We are on that journey at the moment. We are not, uh, I mean, you never finish this journey. But I mean, we're building the basic infrastructure to do exactly what you described. And I believe that will be very insightful. And if we are successful in that, I'm pretty sure we, um, we will succeed with the overall business because that would mean we come in a customer-driven development process. And uh, not only what uh, someone, the CEO, the director of product, uh, stakeholders believe are the right thing, but then we come in a real customer-driven uh, development process. 100%. Yeah, that is, um, that is exactly the answer that I wanted to hear from you. <laughs> um, let's say, uh, taking, a, taking a look at the time, uh, my last question is uh, something that we can, let's say, vastly uh, talk about because I think it is at the core um, of uh, any new, um, let's say, more or less, you know, at the heart digital venture. Uh, and that is partnerships. Um, I think that uh, whatever you do, uh, and when, when building a digital venture, and especially, let's say, you know, taking, taking Metro Markets as an example, uh, as a, let's say, a, a commerce platform, um, you won't be successful without a range of partnerships, right? And I mean, it starts with, let's say, you know, your suppliers, it's, it, it ends with, let's say, you know, the logistics part to it, right? It, uh, and it, there's, I mean, there's so many factors to that, right? How would you describe, let's say, you know, how would you describe the importance for you guys at Metro Markets in regards to like strategic partnerships, you know, for, for, uh, for, for you guys? Yeah. I think I mentioned already that relationships are at the heart of our yeah. business. Yeah. And, uh, that is true for the end customer, but that is, also true and very important to understand that we consider ourselves not only having one customer as we are a platform operator we have two customers so basically the end customer plus uh, the sellers we also consider as customers um, and i think they're our most important partners we try to build our organization our product our attitude how we appear on the market in a very collaborative approach we believe that that will be and that should be our competitive advantage. We want to be seen as a trusted partner where uh, companies, let's say, can trust to build their business, they get their money in a regular base. We make processes easy also for the uh, seller side. Yeah. And um, I think these relationships are really at the heart of the business. And that means two sides. It's not only the customer, it's also the seller side. We, do, we also structure, for example, our product organization like this. So we have one part of the product team 
working on the end customer experience, the Horeca, we have another part of the product organization focusing on the seller experience. Right. Because uh, if we don't make the uh, seller community happy, we will never create the inventory yeah. to, make, uh, to serve the end customer in the right way. So um, we try to embed that really deep in our organization in every aspect. Um, you know, an uh, interesting topic uh, that, you know, I just thought about, which is uh, maybe interesting to, to talk about is um, how is logistics going to be handled? Because, you know, just recently, I think it was, um, it was last end of the last week or, or was it yesterday? I'm not really sure. But uh, there was, let's say, the announcement of, um, you know, a partnership between Amazon and, and Mercedes-Benz in regards to, let's say, the, um, the um, how, do you, how do you call them, those vans, basically, from Mercedes, these delivery vans. So um, Amazon acquiring a couple of thousands of these, um, you know, seeing them taking more and more, let's say, um, you know, the supply chain part, obviously for their insanely huge uh, business. Um, how is that, like, how do you guys think about that part of the business? And let's say, do you have a, yeah, a, a strategy or what is it that you guys do, do there currently? Yeah, so um, at the moment, or oh, first of all, how I see it uh, in general, I mean, it's a, the last mile to the customer is super important, especially because this is, one potential face-to-face uh, -face touch point you have with a customer in a digital experience. So uh, if you want to uh, manage that properly, you need should have that under control. On the other hand, um, I mean, we must be realistic. We talk about a market which requires significant, significant capital to build this uh, warehouse infrastructure, yeah. sorting center infrastructure plus then last mile uh, infrastructure. And you must have a certain volume uh, to be able to justify uh, investments to build that. I think for sure Amazon has it, uh, Otto has this with Hermes, and I think that can be a huge differentiator. We at the moment work with partners yeah. in that case and try to build relationship with these partners uh, and offer them over time, a more and more flexible approach for customers that uh, customers can start with a basic delivery, can uh, have on-demand fast delivery, so next day delivery, or we can even think about services like consolidating deliveries for customers, yeah. which is especially for B2B customers, a relevant uh, functionality. Yeah. And when they order from several partners, that we at the platform consolidate basically the yeah. delivery for them. But also, this will be part of uh, experiments because it also all comes with huge investments. And we have to be realistic uh, that we need to understand how huge the volume must be till we are able to justify investments right. in the day. Yeah, that's um, a very interesting, very interesting point. And I think there's, um, that is also going to be, especially what you said, you know, uh, this is a potential point of uh, touch point, you know, in a digital experience. I think it is uh, crucial, you know, especially, um, you know, it is something that you can spend really, let's say, a lot of time developing that, right? And for having a, let's say, perfect, uh, you know, it's also kind of like, you know, uh, a crucial point of the overall customer experience, 
right? So the, this whole part, and I think that is something that you guys will probably also, you know, spend more time in uh, also in the future and then developing that. So, um, well, Philip, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking to us. It was uh, really a, a pleasure having you um, and uh, hope, hope to uh, stay in touch in the future. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to meet you soon.